0: Welcome to Hollywood Obsessed with Tony Miros. A podcast that celebrates our endless fascination with the iconic people, locations, and history of the entertainment capital of the world. If you're as obsessed with Hollywood as Tony is, or would like to be, get ready to enjoy another exciting, brand new episode of Hollywood Obsessed. Now, here's your host, Tony Miroz.
1: Hello, friends. This is your host, Tony Miraw speaking to you from the heart of Tinseltown. On this episode of Hollywood Obsessed, I'm speaking with actor Barry Pearl, who's best known for playing the role of Judy, one of the T-Birds in the iconic 1978 movie musical, Grease. A longtime veteran of stage, screen, and TV, Barry made his Broadway debut in the original production of Bye Bye Birdie. Following that, he appeared in the original Broadway Company of Oliver and the first national tour of Grease, in which he played Sonny and John Travolta played Duty, way before they made the movie. Following the worldwide success of Grease the Movie, he appeared in several other films, including Avenging Angel, the action comedy Dutch Treat, and the sci-fi comedy My Favorite Martian, with Christopher Lloyd and Daryl Hannah. He's been a TV series regular on shows such as CPO Sharky with Don Rickles, The New Love American Style, and Superior Court as well as having guest starred on such TV classics as Baywatch, Eight is Enough, Beverly Hills 90210, ER, and Criminal Minds, to name a few. He returned to Broadway in 2005 and appeared in the Mel Brooks musical, The Producers, followed by the one-man show, Lenny's Back, and the musical, Baby It's You. Barry and his on-screen love interest from the film Grease, D.D. Kahn, were the only two cast members from the 1978 film to appear in the televised remake Grease Live on Fox. Other than acting, Barry is also an accomplished director. As a matter of fact, he's currently directing Footloose, the musical, at the Simi Valley Cultural Arts Center from April 22nd through May 14th, so make sure to get your tickets to see it ASAP. By the way, have I already mentioned he's in my all-time favorite movie of all-time Grease, which began my obsession with Hollywood? Needless to say, I'm beyond excited to have him here on my podcast, so let's get to it and welcome him to the show. Hi there, Barry. Thank you so much for being my guest on Hollywood Obsessed.
2: Hi, Tony. I, I, I'm i honored to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, no, it's all
1: the honors on me. I mean, as you just heard in the lead in. Uh, greece it, it started this whole obsession because I was 10 years old, not to make you feel old, but I yeah. was 10 years old when the film came out in theaters. And from the very first moment I saw it, I just couldn't get enough. Like <laughs> I made my mother take me to that movie theater like every weekend that summer because I needed to see it again and again and again. And then uh, for my birthday, which is in August, I made all my friends and cousins and everybody get dressed up in 50s costume to have a grease party because it was like the best movie ever yeah so to have you on this on this podcast is like a dream come true it really 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 is
2: that's very sweet and and you're telling me that is nothing but a gift and not to diminish it I have heard it a lot, those same stories. I'm sure. So You are not alone uh, with having had that experience. And that just continues to blow all of us away, that we are part of such a phenomenon. And, uh, you know, I never get tired of hearing it. It, it. it seems unreal to me as well, quite honestly. I, I don't walk around with it in my consciousness it still feels, it's very odd, uh, that kind of celebrity for me, I still don't feel like the celebrity that people feel that I am in their, you know, in their world, in their reality. Mm-hmm. So, and, and maybe that has kept me humble. <laughs> no, that's, that's probably, you know? the yeah, that's probably the truth. You know, because I, I always feel... Like I'm out in the road looking for Thursday, you know, that there's, when's the next job? going to And I've been fortunate because I'm always working and I've been fortunate with my health to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just never take it for granted is, is basically what I'm saying.
1: Well, I mean, the gift that you and the rest of the cast gave, cast gave to the world is immeasurable. And, you know, it's funny because I know that you've heard it and seen it, but now my niece who, when she first saw Greece, I think she was like probably the round the age I was, like eight, nine, or ten, mm-hmm. is fell in love with it as much as I did, and so she and I have bonded over our love for Greece. Yeah. Um. I mean, as a little girl, I think I gave her one a the, the Sandy doll, like a Barbie Sandy, and she yeah. just loved it. Yeah. So it's it's an it's a generational thing now. It's become bigger than just when it just came out. It's, oh, it's, now it's tradition.
2: Uh, absolutely, and you know when we first shot the film in the summer of 77 excuse me it was a 15-week labor of love I call it (laughs) you know people ask did you know no we hadn't a clue we we knew we were having fun we we loved each other and it's that camaraderie by the way I think that lends to its success you see how much we enjoyed each other's company and we still do to this day so, you know, I had done the stage play. Uh, I was right. the first national company. I replaced Michael Lembeck in the role of Sonny uh, on the stage, and um, so a bunch of us had done the stage play before. We were very familiar with it. We knew that the play was a huge success. It became a huge success. Initially, it wasn't um, art. It wasn't an artistic success, if you will. It did have some. Some uh, not so pleasant reviews, as I recall, but it remained <laughs> and became the longest running Broadway show of all time for a time. Yeah. Or it was surpassed by, I want to say, it was either uh, uh, Chorus Line uh, or Fiddler, one of the because they both were longest runs at one point in time. In any event, uh, like Phantom, I think, or his Cats, or something like yeah. that. No. I would
1: think it was Cats and now Phantom. Well, Phantom now closed. just closed, actually. Yeah, they closed yesterday or the yes. other day.
2: So uh, the point here is that we didn't know at the time. Nobody has that kind of crystal ball to know that it would have, that Greece would have the success that it has come to have. And I believe it was after the 10th year, the well, in, during the 10th year anniversary, we had an inkling that this is going to be around for a while. And then, like you say, generation after generation after generation. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's... Because the songs tickle our ears, mm-hmm. John and Olivia, the dear late Olivia, tickle our eyes. The camera loves them, uh, uh, and again, I think they enjoy the friendship that they, the friendships that they see we we have as characters on screen, and the traditional boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. You know that's a universal um, uh, coming of age uh, story. So mm-hmm. that I think resonates with everybody as they okay. as they grow up
1: absolutely when you were growing up let's let's just point this back to you when you were growing up i think you were in philadelphia or no pennsylvania right yeah, you yeah in pennsylvania? pennsylvania that's correct right okay when you were growing up did you have any idols
2: any films that you loved how did you get into acting i loved the three stooges and most of the work <laughs> in the movie is an homage to the three stooges mm-hmm. i loved jimmy stewart I loved Kirk Douglas. I loved Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre. So a, a comedy, and, um, and horror films.
1: Uh, <laughs> they're went, kind of the same, aren't they? they the kind same. of kind of, kind um,
2: of. Yeah. Uh, so I think when Dinah Manoff and I, Shidani, play, played Jan in the movie, a bigger part, and played uh, Marty in the movie, uh, we were coupled up to go on the press tour. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people were went in couples. Some people went individually. And we, like we hit 16 cities uh, in, in a, 11 days. I think it was something nuts like that. Uh, so and we were doing print and radio and TV. So you, you, you said the same things over and over again. Right. And I would always say in the interviews that I cut my comedic teeth on the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. So it came to a point where towards the end of those uh, 11 days, Dinah jumped in with, oh, and Barry Pearl cut <laughs> comedic teeth on the Three Stooges. So she cut me to the quick. And we, we would always get a big kick out of that, a laugh out of that. But it's true, you know. We all have our influ- influences musically. Um, when I was growing up, it was uh, it was Elvis Presley. It was Pat Boone. Uh-huh. It came uh, in, in my teens the Beatles. My gosh, and the Eagles and Crosby, Stills. Those sure. were my influences. But initially, um, I would have to say Elvis Presley musically because my friend Tommy Colson. Um, who's uh, a year or two younger than myself. Uh, he lived down the street from my grandmother's grocery store. And I would go down to the grocery store in the afternoons, waiting for my mom to come home from work. And then we'd drive back to where, we, uh, where, where else we lived in the city. Right. would sit on my grandmother's porch and he would teach me rock and roll songs. Oh, wow. That, we just had a conversation about this the other day. And he said, Barry, you remember what we first, what I first taught you? I said, yeah, it was Teddy Bear. He goes, no, it was the Everly Brothers Dream. Oh wow! Jean, you know, that song. Yeah, i love that song yes i said well, really was it that i don't know if he's misremembering i remember it as teddy bear <laughs> and we do all the instrumentations baby let me be we'd all do the backgrounds as well so that was a musical influence also um there was music uh, uh, 78 recordings of Broadway show tunes, specifically Annie Get Your Gun is the big one that I remember, that uh, I, I would play on my grandmother's Victrola, which I still have to this day, this RCA Victrola Do you really? Yeah. My gosh. It's the a furniture and it's a, um, a 78 player and an AM radio. Uh, and the, oh. the right side is the speaker and the left side looks like a speaker, but that is the side you open up and where all the albums were. The and and like, they're really albums. They're truly albums. Like a 78 recording would be maybe one song. Yeah. So you truly really had an album of, uh, of music. You know, so, so I guess
1: that's where you came where you had your love for Broadway and, and musicals, right? Yes, Bro-
2: that's where it started. That's where it started.
1: And then you were in the original um, Broadway cast of Bye Bye Birdie, correct?
2: Correct. Uh, correct. That began the career. I actually replaced Johnny Borden, who was playing the role of Randolph McAfee in mm-hmm. the show. And the way the story goes this way. Uh, my mother had enrolled me in a tap dancing class, Miriam Menzer's tap dancing class. And um, because they saw a spark. Sure. And, and my, when I say they, my aunts and my mother, my parents had been <laughs> divorced. So okay. it was basically my, my mother, my three aunts, and my grandmother who, who raised me. So, you know, bring the women on. I'm very much about a matriarchy. <laughs> so, um, uh, she enrolled me in this tap dance uh, school. Uh, uh, and, and at the end of each year, they would do a review at the Millersville State Teachers College. Mm. And I was the littlest boy in the class. And there was a little girl named Maxine Gilman. And they would team us up and sort of build the review around the two of us. And that got that was the bug that first bit me uh, performing in front of a a, a live audience. Okay, that mm. was pretty thrilling. These tap dances that I that we do. And eventually, uh, mom had a lead on the, a community theater uh, situation, the Lancaster Little Theater. So I did a show for the Lancaster Little Theater. And the next thing I did a show for FM's Green Room Playhouse. FM is Franklin and Marshall College, which is known for its medicine, but yeah. they also had uh, a drama department at which uh, Roy Scheider, the late Roy Scheider, had gone. Oh, wow. Back. I, I had done a couple of plays at the F&M uh, Green Room Theater. One of them was Richard III, where Roy Scheider had played Richard. Uh-huh. So that was kind of a semi-professional production, if you will.
1: Mm.
2: Next thing you know, I get cast in a production of Dark at the Top of the Stairs that was being done at the Fulton Opera House, which is the Fulton Theater today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the place where uh, 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 the booths played. And oh, all- wow famous people from the past, famous uh, uh, actors from the past. So I did this production and there was a gentleman named Chuck Miller, Charles E. Miller, who is um, a New York resident, uh, an aspiring playwright who took a job running the lights for this production in Pennsylvania. He had to pay the rent. So he took a job running lights and he became friendly with my mother and myself. And he told my mom, one of these days, I'm going to get your son on Broadway because he was very impressed with my work. Now, Dark at the Top of the Stairs wasn't a musical; it was a straight. It's a straight play, right? But he took a liking, and two years later—that was nineteen fifty-nine. Two years later, we get a call that August of sixty-one. My mom gets a call saying that Chuck was a friend of the secretary to Edward Padula, who produced Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, and when Johnny Borden was about to leave to do uh, Milk and Honey with Molly Pekan, a new Broadway show. Uh, it left that role open, and the secretary, Ed Padula's secretary, Bob Fagan, told our friend Chuck about it, and Chuck said, hey, I think I might have the kid for you, and calls my mom. The next thing you know, I'm on a train to New York to audition for Bye Bye Birdie, but to me, audition, there, it really wasn't an audition. You go up, you read, you got the gig. That was, that was- <laughs> I went in with a major power of positive thinking, despite the fact that there were about 250 kids that that were auditioning for this. Yeah. Chuck took me down to the Lambs Club, kind of like the the Friars Club is uh, in New York, and taught me there's no business like show business. Uh, A a song, by the way, from Eddie Get Your Gun. Right, right. I learned that song is my audition song, went in the following day and sang that for uh, Margin Gower Champion and the other powers that be from Bye Bye Birdie. And then uh, they asked me to sing another song. I didn't have anything to say. so Could you sing Happy Birthday? Which I did. I got the game.
1: Wow. What a story. I
2: to work the next day. So that was a Wednesday, I want to say. Went to work on Thursday. And they told my mom that I'd be on the following Monday. Because that was when uh, Sundays were still performance days. Uh, beg your pardon. Sundays were days off. And Mondays were, were performance. It wasn't equity Monday like it is now. Or Monday is the day off. Right. So they said he'll be on by Monday. Well, I was on by Saturday. Oh, my. my. Went back to Pennsylvania to pack up our things. Because we were going to do the lab the last month on Broadway, I was going to perform, and then we were going out on the national tour. Yeah. So she went back to Pennsylvania, pack up our things uh, for that, and, and we moved into the Belvedere Hotel, and uh, the famous Belvedere Hotel from Forty Second Street. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, so she missed my opening. Unfortunately, Uh, but that's okay. Uh, It it was a hit, obviously, and I went on to do the national tour. And then that summer of 62, we did um, the the, uh, Vegas company performed at the Riviera Hotel, which is no longer. Following that, coming back from 1962's uh, Vegas production of Birdie, I had auditioned for Oliver. Yeah when it was being put together. And I auditioned with a broken arm. I had a cast on my arm. So I didn't get cast immediately. Mm. And uh, I guess it was about November, December of that year, they were looking to replace two of those boys on on uh, that were out on the pre-Broadway. And I auditioned again and got the gig and they flew me to, I want to say it was either Toronto or Detroit. Uh, so I did the last... The last two months, I want to say, of the pre-Broadway and then went in on January 63 and opened the original production of Oliver on Broadway. And then, you know, the rest is history.
1: That's impressive, Barry. And it also what's impressive to me is that your mother was so supportive because oh, yeah. other parents would have been like, um, yeah, that's nice. No, we're not doing it. You can't leave.
2: You and, and there were those. Absolutely. And then there were many of the mothers in Oliver that were mothers of the kids in Oliver were very much the theater, the stage mother.
1: So the stage mom, Great. yeah.
2: And mm-hmm. that always embarrassed me, and I told my mom, don't <laughs> ever treat me that way. And she was cool about it. She was very proud. Yeah. But she, yeah. she was one of maybe only two mothers that were actually allowed backstage after a while because the mothers were very catty with each other.
1: So you could mom, do a whole show on, on stage moms, that's for oh sure. Oh, my
2: gosh, you sure could. You sure could. She was <laughs> very, very supportive. Never pushed me. It was always whatever you want to do. Uh, And and I think that she lived vicariously through me. So did my father. But there was never a pushing uh, because they knew that I didn't like that. It embarrassed me. So I was very fortunate to grow up with uh, parents and and, and aunts and the rest of my family was very supportive uh, about furthering my dream.
1: I know that you are huge in theater. Actually, you're doing something right now, which we're going to talk about a little later in the podcast. We met, um, you and I met at Paramount Studios when they did the live, uh, the Grease Live FYC event for the Emmys. Uh, and I never forget it. It was the one a great moment for me. It was at Paramount Studios. It was a whole big thing with the tent and the lights and the carnival thing. And, but we, we have a mutual friend, Jeff Sumner, and you two, had been in the play Happy Days, I, I think, right?
2: You're right. We had actually, I guess that's the first time we worked together. He was my understudy in Happy Days, a new musical. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we we shared having done the role of the genie in California Adventures, uh, Aladdin. That's right. And that's right. We actually did uh, one of Christopher Lithgow's pantos, which was Aladdin and his winter wish. Uh, <laughs> he played um, um, Madame Twanky. Uh, <laughs> your listeners, a panto is a British form of musical that's kind of like a fractured fairy tale, if you will. They take fairy tales um, uh, and they twist them and aberrate them. They become a, 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 funny. They throw humor in that adults uh, get, so adults can enjoy it, as, enjoy it as well as children. And then they throw rock and roll music in to help to tell the story. And then there are these the the cast of characters are very. It's very similar to Commedia dell'Art in that there's always a man who plays a woman. There's a femme fatale. There's a mm-hmm. prince who saves the day. There's a witch or a warlock, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, Jeff and I have been fortunate to work with Chris, Chris and Becky and Bonnie Lithgow, uh, whose father, by the way, uh, Chris and uh, uh, Chris's father Nigel Lithgow, who uh, gave you gave us American Idol and Chris yeah. uh, the series So You Think You Can Dance, and we're all good buddies. So Jeff and I um uh have have worked uh together there and then jeff just understudied me in a production of the wizard of oz uh, oh
1: that's right
2: that chris was supervising uh production on and actually had to go on for me because i my, my back went out for some crazy reason so oh. he took one For performance and we our paths continue to cross they continue to cross in that way i adore him so yes i do remember having met wasn't it genghis cohen isn't that where we we met was it? yeah and
1: we met at Genghis. oh my god i met you three times because then i met you again when we went to uh the 40th anniversary of greece at the academy yes. where they screened it and that was amazing what they did and it was you olivia john randall kleiser uh, Dede Khan
2: and the Joel Thurm who was our casting director. That's
1: right. I, I, you know, I mean, it was for a fan of the movie. It was actually it was so spectacular. And, and then they had the car outside. Uh, the Greece yeah. Lightning was outside. Yeah. Um, how did Greece come into your life? I know you did the national tour. How did it arrive into your into your world?
2: So I had the summer of seventy two. Uh, that was the summer before my senior year of college. My then-girlfriend and I had gotten a job working with the Chicago Free Street Theater during the summer, and then they, they, the street theater took us to Europe. Um, we were sponsored by the Beograd International Theater Festival, BITIF, in Yugoslavia, in, um, in uh, uh, yeah, it was in... Uh, where was, the, um, Belgrade, in Belgrade, but prior to that festival, we toured all around Yugoslavia, Sarajevo, and Nish, and Novi Sad, before mm-hmm. going to that festival, and then two weeks, I want to say, or more in Paris, performing at the Espace Cardin, that was Pierre Cardin's theater space, and then a oh. week in Brussels, Belgium, mm-hmm. uh, and f- for myself, uh, Carnegie Mellon, where I'd gone to school, gave me credit for that time, that first semester of my senior year, Mm-hmm. And I had met at the time, I was working with a fellow named John Lansing, who was in the company with me, and we became good pals. So in January, when I went, we actually, after, after the, the, the European stint, uh, I guess it was in December, January of uh, 70, um, 72, 73, uh, we, were, we taught theater arts in um, in Rockford, Illinois, and then I went back to college in January of 73. And John had gone on to become uh, one of the understudies in the first national tour of Greece. Mm. So so we continued to communicate with each other, but, but, you know, that was before emails and such. So I I guess we were talking by phone, who knows? But some of my pals at Carnegie would tell me how much I reminded them of their friend who they had gone to school with in California, Mm -hmm. uh, named Michael Lembeck. Now, Mm -hmm. these Friends of michael's who became friends of mine they they had transferred from uh the school out here in california and transferred to carnegie for their last uh, uh, year of college so yeah. they kept telling me how much i reminded them of michael lembeck okay fine who's michael lembeck well it turned <laughs> out <it was> Harvey harvey <laughs> on harvey lembeck was in Bilco uh, uh, bilko with phil servers harvey oh in, right a big big star at the time so i go. so uh, greece comes through pittsburgh And I get a call from John saying you got to come down and see the show. So he gets me tickets to come down to see this show, Grease. And when Michael Lembeck comes out on stage, because he was playing Sonny in that production, Uh it's like watching myself. He (laughs) remind me of (laughs) me. Uh, and I thought my friends were absolutely right. Cause I guess I saw on the program that he was in it. I said, well, that's the guy that they kept, my friends kept talking about. So when I saw that, I got on the phone with my agent the following day in New York I said, hey, here's the situation. There's this play, Greece. I'm right for it. I don't know how much time passed between that moment uh, and when I was actually called in for a general audition in New York. So I flew into New York, i was still going to school, still finishing up my senior year. Uh-huh. I auditioned for it, a general audition for Pat Birch, who was choreographing she and mm-hmm. i worked together she was our choreographer in uh, the boston production of your good man charlie brown which i had done in 67 and 68 so oh, wow. she knew my work well about a week or so later i get a call from my agent michael limbeck has broken his ankle at the end of the first act of the show which is when they do we go together now in the film that happens at the end at the end right it's the, they wanted me to come back in for another audition to go up there and cover him in the meantime take over well i did i went in i got the audition i went in i got the gig but i still had two weeks of school to finish my senior year of college oh wow Told them that now at that point they were in toronto so they said all right you finish your two weeks and we'll fly you up to detroit which is where we'll be doing uh the show at the time great so they fly me up for what became the last three weeks of Michael being out because he was gone b- for five weeks in total, uh, uh, allowing his, his ankle to heal. Mm-hmm. So I basically understudied the understudy who they threw on in the role of Sonny. I think Gerard was the guy's name. So they taught me just the role of Sonny. Now, Tommy understudied Sonny and Knicky and Roger at the time. So I worked Mike Tush off. Now, in that, in that production, you had John Travolta playing Duty. Right. Jerry Lou Henner was doing Marty Jerry Zachs, the famous successful Broadway director was playing Kanicki. <laughs> our dear late Jeff Conaway was playing Zuko
1: oh right, he was Danny Zuko right.
2: brilliant Danny Zuko in fact in my life he was Danny Zuko we grew up together in Manhattan he was kind of the bad boy in Manhattan in my, my relationship with him in, in Manhattan I kind of always wanted to be like him you know, because good uh-huh. looking and you know, he was a bad boy <laughs> right so he was playing I beg your pardon he was playing zuko he eventually played knicky in the movie of course right and uh, <clears throat> excuse me and a whole bunch of others uh so i worked my tail off for those three weeks and towards the end of that third week i went to jerry Zachs, who was playing knicky i said hey do you mind you know feigning illness one day so i can get to go on meaning tommy Gerard who was on for Sonny, but the understudy, he'd play Kanicki and I'd go into the role of Sonny. Right. Said, well, yeah, if uh if stage manager would okay it. I said, well, okay, go ahead and try. Well, of course he came back and uh, stage management said, we can't do that. Okay. So a couple of days later, March, I beg your pardon, May 19th, uh, that Saturday, May 19th of 1973, I stepped on stage for the first time they came to me and they said, "Jerry Zachs is sick. You're going on as Sunny today." <laughs> so I stepped on stage at the Fisher Theater, May 19th of 1973, in the role of Sunny. And four years to the day later, I got the role of Duty in the movie.
1: Wow.
2: And it gets more well with May nineteenth being a very magical time in my life because May nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, was the last time my mother saw me perform live in a theater production out here in California. She'd been diagnosed with leukemia and given four years to live, but wound up only living a couple of months. But wow! She came out to spend Mother's Day and saw me in a play where I was playing a, a character whose mother had just passed away and who was being conned into buying a bogus piece of real estate. Um, with the insurance money. Yeah. What wound up happening is my mother goes back to New York and I go back for a two-week uh, vacation to stand up for a friend of mine that was getting married. And within those two weeks, my mom passed away. And I wound up buying her co-op in midtown Manhattan and wound up staying there for six months mm-hmm. eventually a year or so later my tenant was rained on as the roof opened up no. right <laughs> up the work they were doing above in the penthouse and that led to two years of a nightmare uh, and I bought that place with some of the insurance money that my mother had left me in her passing so yeah. what's imitating what life art or art life at that, <laughs> time? It's very, that was so anyway getting back to your original question so at the end of that three weeks Michael came back to the first national and I was laid off because my job was done. Sure. End of that summer. They called me because now the company's in Los Angeles and Michael wanted to lead the show. Cause he was home. He lived out here. They mm-hmm. called me to replace him. So I did the last 10 months of the first national tour, which was eight months in Chicago and two months in Chicago and in, uh, in uh, uh, Toronto fade out, fade in. That was 1973. Uh, yeah that was 1974 by that point so in 76 i had uh, uh g- gotten a pilot that's a whole other story a tv pilot that didn't sell but yeah. jerry paris who had directed it jerry paris who was very the late jerry paris who was, was famous for directing every episode of happy days mm-hmm. uh, told me that uh, i would work in california and that i could come out and live with him and his family till i got my legs Oh, how nice. Though so I had contended that I, one should never go out to California unless one had some kind of job. Yeah. I left the well-paying off-Broadway show. And I packed up lock, stock and barrel. And I moved out to California to Jerry, Jerry's home in the Palisades. And within a week and a half, Tony, my first audition was for CPO Sharky. With Don Rickles. With and Don they, Rickles, that's yeah, right. Pilot had been shot, but they needed to replace Jeff Kramer. Mm-hmm. Went on to produce with David Kelly, Ali McBeal, and other things like that. Dave, uh, J- Jeff was an actor at the time. <clears throat> um, they had written his character out, and they needed somebody to replace him. So I went into audition because they were all, they already had a pickup. They were going for thirteen right episodes. My first audition, I get the gig. The first audition I have, I get a I get a television show. Well, I was on top of the world. The ends justified the means. Sure. However, by the end of that 13 weeks, I became very despondent because they weren't writing for us guys. They were throwing a lot at Don. And Don was up in and over his head with this. He would yeah. have heard more stuff be given to the, to the guys. That following year, the March of 77, uh, on my birthday, and we didn't know whether we were going to be picked up for a second season or not. I get a phone call from my agent saying, they're not picking your contract up. They've replaced you. Oh no. I went crying to Jerry Paris, who was down at Paramount uh, directing Blansky's Beauties, which was uh-huh. a Paramount uh, uh, um, series. And I went crying to him saying, they, they didn't pick my car. He goes, you know, Barry, this could be the blessing in disguise. When I was a kid, I was on The Untouchables with Robert Stack. They wrote my character out and I felt terrible. But had that not happened, they wouldn't have hired me as Jerry the Dentist on the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> it led to my directing career, which Sheldon Leonard provided for him and the rest is history. But I've right. said many times in telling this story. At the time, the light at the end of the tunnel looks like a truck coming at you. It doesn't count, console you very much. Well, had that not happened, Tony, had I not been written out of CPO Sharky, I would not have gotten Grease. They would not have allowed me out of that contract. Now, actually getting Grease is a whole other story in that all of us were told, all of us that had done the show were told we weren't going to be considered for the movie because we were at that point too old or whatever right that turned out not to be true because michael tucci who plays sunny yeah he was an understudy in the national tour and then went on to do sunny i think for a little while on broadway jamie donnelly who played jan for a for a while she she plays uh uh, jan in the movie so she played jan on on broadway for a minute Uh, carol culver who was one of the 20 core dancers played patty simcox in the national tour i think she might have done it on broadway too uh um and Jeff, of course, Jeff Conaway. Sure. Uh, played he was uh, very much a part of the original uh, on, on uh, in the stage play. And of course, John played duty. Well, it was going to be John anyhow. So- <laughs> uh, and Pat Birch, of course, choreographed. And Tommy Smith, who was her assistant, was our production stage manager uh, on, on the tour. So a lot of people that had something to do with the stage play wound up getting the movie. So that began the 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 stage play began the saga, which led to the uh, the saga that is that is having gotten the film.
1: Sure. I mean, what was the audition like? Did you guys have did you were you competing against hundreds of people or was it kind of just a one screen test thing?
2: Competing against hundreds of people. And that's the really there. So they have us come in. And of course, I dressed up like a greaser and uh, as did (laughs) a lot. And uh, I sang "Blue Suede Shoes," which is what I had sang, which what I had sung for my uh, uh, stage audition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Did a whole thing with that, that got me a call back. I think we might have danced, and then we read. And they were giving me the sides for Duty, the, 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 the script pieces. And I thought, I'm not Duty. I'm Sunny. <laughs> I know that Duty in the movie is really Sunny from the play.
1: Ah, Sonny from
2: the movie is really Roger from the play. Mm -hmm. and putsy from the movies really duty from the play Mm. so they changed it all around in any event I read and I read with Didi I remember doing that and the very last audition I think there might have been two or three callbacks in the play in the stage play the role of Sonny the gentleman who played him originally Jim Borelli he wasn't much of a dancer or a singer but he was a great type so during the Mm -hmm. dance contest they didn't have him dance with everybody else they had their character of Sonny off well, stage right drinking and getting drunk, and at the end of the number, he just collapses while everybody freezes. You know, in the in the end of the number. Right. If you notice in the in the play, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Sonny also doesn't have a song. Again, Jim wasn't much of a singer, but again, he he was a terrific type. So uh-huh. they you know they kept him in there and he did he was amazing he was amazing a greasy sleazeball character it was terrific <laughs> so i just and during the dance you no know, i like i say he gets drunk now in the play the role of cha-cha played in the movie by the lovely late uh uh Annette Cardone, charles yeah this hot latina character well in the play she's not a hot character she's a girl that has way overweight and she's not very attractive. And that's the joke because Kinnicky has told everybody that he's going to bring a hot date to the dance because he, he had a fight. He's had a fight with Rizzo in that, right. in that scene. Um and so uh, Zuko was going to go to the dance when, with her, uh, and so Kaneki says that's that's all right because I got a hot date from across town. And when he comes into the dance sequence in the stage play, he brings this girl that's dressed in this yellow awful frilly dress, and we're yelling things like "You're a school bus," <laughs> it's just crazy. And she had these dog Madison curl. I mean, it was she she was very unattractive, but that was the funny part, right? So at the end of the dance number, when the scene changes from the dance number into what was the Burger Palace, which, of course, in the movie is the Frosty Palace, uh, the scene changes and Sonny staggers up the staircase as Cha-Cha comes walking across to go down the stairs to leave. And when Sonny encounters her in in, in his stupor, in his drunken stupor, he falls down the steps and he quickly runs up and gets away from her because he, too, is repulsed by her look. (laughs) (laughs) but what i did at the audition they had the very last thing they had us do in the studio the audition room is they had all these girls who were auditioning standing on one side of the room and the guy standing on the other and our task was to meet one of the girls from the other side of the room in the middle and dance with her and woo her off the stage somehow dance her off the stage some way so I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do what Sonny does in the play. I got myself a styrofoam cup and pretended there was whiskey in it. Yeah. And I'm hoping against hope that the, and I held out to the last person. And I was hoping against hope that the lesser attractive of the two remaining girls would stay, would hold back so that I could have her as my dance partner. Right? And she was, she did hang back. I don't even <laughs> know who the gal was. So that they were the last two there. So I stagger out with my styrofoam cup. And I put my styrofoam cup in my jeans cuff. And it stays there. (laughs) take her around the waist, start a dance with her. And I move my right hand down to her butt and start caressing it. At which point, the actress takes my hand from behind her and puts it, uh, maneuvers it onto my butt. So I'm not caressing my butt thinking it's her butt. And the, the crowd goes wild. So I'm thinking that that little thing that I did there might have helped to secure uh, being a part of the. Country.
1: You know, I'm glad that you did that because you were a fabulous duty in the film. Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with actor Barry Pearl. On the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed, my conversation with Barry continues as we discuss what it was like working on the set of Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, the day a cast member fainted while they were filming the dance contest sequence in a sweltering school gym, his thoughts about the new Paramount Plus series, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, and how he and the rest of the cast are preparing to celebrate the 45th anniversary of the release of the highest-grossing movie musical of all time, Grease. All that and more on the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed. This is your host, Tony Miros.
0: See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Hollywood Obsessed. Make sure to visit our Facebook page, Hollywood Obsessed Podcast, where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a single episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in every other Monday for our next episode. That's a wrap.